listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. How many DIYers do we have in the house? Anybody? Oh, those are my people. Let's go. Um, How many of us have tried to tackle maybe a DIY project just to have to call someone for help? Right? So just this past week... It happens often, but just this past week, we were at the house and we found out there's this big hole in the backyard that's, let's just say, full of nasty stuff and smelled pretty bad. And so naturally, I, you know, I first called some people and tried to figure out what it was. But after thorough research on YouTube and other, you know, Internet sources, I um, figured, hey, this is probably something small. I can fix it, you know. I can definitely clean this. And so I went to bed that night thinking of all the ways I was going to clean this thing. And I woke up the next morning. I grabbed some gloves and Steven's shaking his head already. But I I grabbed some gloves and I decided I'm going to go ahead and clean this thing. I put on a mask. I got all my gear and I got my five gallon bucket. And so I think, hey, this my, you know, it's surely it's only two feet deep. I'll be able to put all this stuff in the bucket, take it outside, put it in the bag, and we'll be clean, right? The smell will be gone. The flies will be gone. And so I decided to do that. And so I opened the, the, the cover for this thing. And at that moment, I realized this is probably not a good idea. So I'm going to dis- I'm going to figure out what I'm dealing with, right? I haven't given up though. So I, put a stick in there, kind of a broomstick to figure out how deep this thing is. And it turns out it's five feet deep and 10 feet wide. And it's a pool of, let's just call it nasty stuff. And so <laughs> at that moment, I realized, hey, this is this five gallon bucket I have isn't going to cut it, right? And so I'm sure it sounds silly that I would go ahead and do that, but many of us have been in situations where maybe we tried to fix something, right? And maybe we didn't have the tools necessary to be able to kind of resolve the situation. And today what we'll be diving into a little bit more of what it means to live the Christian life in the Spirit. And what we'll find is that trying to live the Christian life without the Spirit is kind of like me trying to clean this thing with a five-gallon bucket, right? It's not a good idea to clean your septic tank with a five-gallon bucket, just, just so you guys know. And so I know for many of us, kind of talking about uh, the Spirit may seem a little bit daunting or maybe a little bit even confusing, Right? Because what, what does it look like to live by the Spirit? So today what we'll see is that assurance in the Christian life only comes from intimacy with the Spirit. And oftentimes we talk about this new humanity and walking in the Spirit, but we, we fail to realize all the, all the ways and, and how we can actually apply this to our ordinary lives, right? When I'm driving to work or when I'm hanging out with my friends, what does it mean to actually walk in the Spirit? And so Paul's going to go on to explain in these verses that we'll read today um, how Jesus has released his spirit to his people so that we can fulfill the call that he's commanded us in scripture, which is to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. So we pick up the story in Romans 8 verse 9, and we'll be seeing three different realities that we enjoy as Christians. And the first is that we belong to Jesus Doesn't that sound familiar, right? Look with me at these verses. Verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 
If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And what we'll see here in verse 9 is the greatest gift that we receive as believers when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is going to try to tell us that if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, then we have the Spirit. It says that the Spirit of God dwells in us, and in other words, is living in us each day. That means that the Spirit's presence isn't necessarily something temporary that we enjoy. It's not something that we enjoy when we come on Sundays and we all sing and we worship God and our favorite song comes on. The Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit is something that every Christian enjoys in perpetuity. That means that if the Spirit is in us, we are on our way to work in the same way that this is when so when we gather as a church, the, the Spirit is working the same way that it works in our own personal lives. Paul makes it clear here that either you've placed your faith in Christ, and therefore you have the Spirit, or if you haven't, then you simply don't have the Spirit. See, there's a correlation between being indwelled by the Spirit of God and belonging to Christ. If you take a look at, with me at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, what Paul is trying to point out is that the indwelling of the Spirit is not just a gift we receive, Right When we come to Christ, but it's actually the seal of belonging to Christ. That the mere fact that we have the God's Spirit working in our life is testifying that we've been purchased with the greatest price that's ever been paid in human history. Amen? That the King of the universe would come down and die for us on the cross so that we would be made right with the Father. That's what we're talking about. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about earlier in the chapter, right? In verses 3 and 4 that Tyler preached last week, where he's reminding us that God has sent his son to die on the cross to fulfill the entire requirement of the law so that we could be made right with God. Paul's going to go on now in verses 10 and 11 to kind of explain that there's no distinction between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. That although these are different persons, that the reality remains the same in our life. That is that the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit, is in us in a real and tangible way that is walking with us in our daily life, pointing us to the truth, pointing us to walk in His ways. And this means that the Spirit living in us is not only there to guide, but literally to give us life. That means when I'm walking my Christian life, the Spirit is not only showing me where to go, but it is giving me the life. It is giving me the breath that I am to, that I need in order to be able to walk the Christian life, right? That's why the five-gallon bucket wouldn't work. Because if you try to walk the Christian life by yourself, it just won't work. 
And that's that resurrection life that we talk about in our hearts where he's taking our souls, right? He's taking our souls who were bondage in the bondage of sin and he's making them new through Christ. This means that the spirit, we're not only given life at the time of conversion, but we're actually continually being made to look more like Christ as we follow him. If the spirit of God truly dwells in us, then that means He's holding control. He's holding sway over our lives so that we can actually go and fight sin in our lives, right? He's holding control so that we can resist the attacks of the enemy. And that means that if we're in Christ, we have the spirit, right? And if we have the spirit, there's literally nothing that can be done that will separate us from the love of God. And now many of us may be wondering, I know the spirit lives in me. You know, I'm, I'm with the Spirit, the Spirit's with, you know, the passage talks about the Spirit with me, and that's cool. But how do, we, how do I know that He's truly with me, right? That's the question. How do I know that I'm truly a Christian, right? That's the question in all of the back of our heads, right? And what's, what's funny is we, we're always trying to figure out what's, what's the Spirit doing in my life. What does that look like? Is it a voice maybe that I hear at night, Right? Is it some sort of feeling that I feel when I come on Sundays and I feel good? Is that the spirit? Paul says it's it's simple, right? He says, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted God with your life, then you have the spirit. He makes it really simple, right? He says, if if you have the spirit, then the spirit is going to continue to work in your life. If you've placed your faith in Christ. See, the Christian life isn't necessarily a journey of self-improvement or a way or a tool that we use in order to get better. The Christian life shouldn't be evaluated based solely on how good can I obey his commands. And that doesn't mean we got to go around not obeying his commands, but it does mean that we shouldn't evaluate our Christian life based on how well I can do that, right? Because a Christian life at the end of the day is only evaluated by am I in true fellowship with the Spirit? How much time do I spend dwelling and how much time do I spend meditating and savoring the truth of the Word of God? That's it. We're not supposed to create this performance-based face where now I got to obey these commands in order to be right with God. Christ did it all for us already. Amen? Church, as Christians, we should be focused more on spending our lives in communion with God rather than investing in the accounts of the flesh, right? And that's why Paul is going to go on to tell us how we should fight sin and fight temptation in our own life. And citizens, our, our hope as a church is that we would be known as people who are filled with the Spirit, amen? That people would be blown away by the way in which we love our Savior so much that when they come, they know, hey, these people love one another. That we would be able to show that love and that they would be blown away by that love. That's ultimately a reflection of the Spirit of God working in us. Amen? Church, we've been given everything in order to live our lives enamored by our Savior. That's why when we come and sing the songs and gather, it's not just to go through the rhythms. 
It's our response to our king. And if we can't respond to our king, then maybe we need to evaluate the way in which we go about our Christian life. Because when we come and worship God and when we come and sing and pray and gather together, we're responding to the one who did it all for us. So how could I not respond, right? That's what God is calling us, to be enamored with him, that we would love him truly and then in turn love others. That's what it means to belong to Jesus. You know, we talk about belonging to Jesus, but what does that mean? That literally means that we are empowered by the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is living us, that we are fighting sin as we live the Christian life, and then we're able to love God more and love our neighbor. That's what it means when we talk about belonging to Jesus, wanting to be a people who belong to him. That's what we're talking about. Secondly, I, I want us to look at how, how we can fight sin, right? Paul gives us a warning in uh, verses 12 and 13. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, Paul is trying to encourage us to live by the Spirit rather than the flesh. In verse, 12, in verse 12, he's talking about us being debtors not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. He's trying to help us understand that the flesh right, will only lead us to death. That the flesh makes us unable to obey God and His commands. And instead, he's calling us to be debtors of the Spirit because the Spirit of God has actually done everything for us. Paul's hope for us as believers is that we would spend our lives, spend our lives sowing for the Spirit rather than paying into the account of the flesh, right? And many of us unconsciously do, do this all the time with our sin, right? Instead of trying to kill sin, we decide, Maybe I can just tame sin, right? Maybe if I just control it enough, then I'll be able to keep it in its place. There won't be a lot of effects to my sin, right? And then I'll just feel enough guilt that I can manage on a given day, right? And so we play that game with our sin instead of saying, hey, I'm on a war. I'm at war with my sin, right? And the reality is, church, that doesn't work. Us trying to tame sin does not work, right? Because if we understand sin as just having effects on our life, then maybe we've missed that the greatest effect sin has in our life isn't the consequence of a sin, but maybe it's grieving the Spirit. And by grieving the Spirit, we quench His power in our lives, right? And if we view sin in that way, then man, I better go to war with this thing. Because it's not just a matter of managing the, the effects of it or managing what's going to happen when I do sin. This is a war i got to fight as a Christian. He says in verse 13, he tells us exactly why we should kill sin. He says, for if you don't, you will die. And Paul's not talking about our physical death, right? Paul's not talking about, hey, when we have our funeral and we pass away and we passed away at old age, right? That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about spiritual death. 
He's given us a warning that if we spend our lives trying to make peace with the flesh instead of war, that this path will only lead to spiritual death. So church, if we want to be a Christians who are filled with the spirit, then we must be continually at war with the flesh, killing everything that creeps up, right? We talk about the garden of our heart all the time. We got to get in there, pull weeds, right? If, if we're truly at war with our sin. A famous pastor, John Owen, uh, has this famous quote um, I like that says, kill sin or it'll be killing you, Right? And I share that because that's the level of intensity, right? That's the level of urgency. That's the intentionality we should have when we're talking about sin, right? Shouldn't be something passive that we wait on or we try to manage. It's something that takes true intentionality on our part. Now, how how do we actually go about killing sin? Maybe now you've come to the place where you're like, hey, I know it's a war. I'm ready to go to war. But maybe you don't know how to use the tools, right? And so I want to kind of help us and really share some scripture with us that will hopefully help us understand how we can fight sin in our lives, how we can actually place a war on the flesh. So let's look at some verses together. First, Ephesians 16 and 17 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? Passage tells us right there what it is. One of the primary ways in which we can kill sin in our, in our lives is by using the sword, is by swinging the sword of the word of God. That's why it's so important for us to memorize scripture that's why it's so we make an emphasis on our bible reading plan it's not so we can check the box it's because that's the way in which we fuel our hearts in order to be able to fight sin when it comes galatians 3 3 and 5 says let me ask you only this did he receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith does he who supply the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith again this passage is telling us these verses are telling us how we should go about fighting sin and how referring again to the word of god by hearing the word of god we can fight sin and trusting that the word of God will ultimately be a more superior delight than anything sin has to offer. And thirdly, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we ought always give thanks to God for you, brother beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. Right? This verse again is showing us the how of fighting our temptation, the how of fighting sin in our lives because we are sanctified by the Spirit and there's, therefore we can swing the sword, right, of the Word of God knowing and believing in it. Now I want to give us an example, right, now breaking this down even further, give us an example of 
what could that look like in our life, right? With something real that maybe we face on a daily basis. And the Bible tells us a lot about the love of money. And it tells us specifically in Hebrews 13 that we are to keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. And this is a real temptation. This is a real struggle. I know I face it, right? And so how do we go about fighting those lies of the enemy? Maybe um, to tell us that we need to store enough, right? To feel safe. Or maybe that we need to work ourselves to death in order to be able to prove ourselves. How do we fight those, those temptations in our heart? First church, we believe the word of God. The Bible tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that he'll be our helper, that we can trust his promises, that if he cares for the, the flowers of the field and the birds in the air, how much more will he care for you? Amen? That he's a tender, loving father that truly cares for us and cares for his children. Second, we can trust that through the power of the Spirit, we've already won the victory. Right? When temptation comes, when we're tempted to sin, when those thoughts come, we know we've already won. We're going into the battle as winners because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We have given every, he's given us everything we need in order to fight temptation. And lastly, we, we need to remind ourselves right, of, that Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross everything we need. And so how should we respond to that, right? If I view my sin not only as a breaking of laws, uh, the law of God, right? But I view my sin as a betrayal of his love that he's already freely given to me. How much more should I respond in obedience? And finally, church, through the, through the power of the Spirit, we are the children of God. Look with me at verse uh, 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, Paul starts this section by saying that those who are led by the Spirit are truly children of God. And the question to consider is, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Where are we going? Right? Many people think being led by the Spirit may be waiting here patiently until I get a message from God. Or maybe living by the Spirit, right? being led by the Spirit means just waiting until God tells me exactly what I need to do with my life. And until that moment comes, I just got to wait. And that's not what Paul's talking about, right? What Paul's saying here is that being led by the Spirit is being led into Christ's likeness. It's not some miraculous event that we await. It's, it means that if the Spirit of God is moving you to become more like Christ, then you can rest assured that you're a son and daughter of the King. And I do want to point out, church, this doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> the, the work of the Spirit in us is a gradual work, right? It's a work that can take years, sometimes decades, and can be painful, right? And so I want to encourage you not to, not to lose heart. Not to lose heart when things are hard. 
when things are disappointing, right? Because the reality, church, is that the best work that the Spirit will do in our lives will often come in times of pain, in times of disappointment, and in times where we're humbled, rather than when we feel we're at a spiritual peak. So I want to encourage us to lean into that. See the Spirit working in us each day to make us more like Christ, to love what He loves, to hate what He hates, as we walk and prepare for the rest of eternity. And Paul's going to go on in these verses to compare what it means to walk in the spirit of slavery that he refers to versus the spirit of adoption. He's urging us to kind of realize that as children of God, we no longer have to live in the spirit of slavery to sin or in fear because we have a heavenly father who cares for us, right? That's what that concept of being adopted by God means. And in order to help us understand some of the ways in which we can often tend to live in that spirit of slavery to sin, right? I've kind of created a chart I want us to take a look at on some of the ways that we can live, right? And what our response should be. The spirit of slavery says, I feel alone. I'm fearful. I lack intimacy with the spirit. I'm full of self-concern. The spirit of adoption tells us that we should recognize true assurance that God really is my heavenly loving father. And therefore I can come to him just as I am. I don't need to hide. I can bring myself to him. Spirit of slavery feels anxious about their needs and relationships, money, health, thinks I'm alone and nobody cares for me. The spirit of adoption trusts God and has a growing confidence that he sees our needs, he wants to meet them, right? And that ultimately our Father cares for us. Spirit of slavery lives in light of their success or failure, right? They need to be right. They need to look good. It's performance oriented out of fear. I need to obey the commands of the law. But the spirit of adoption tells us that we should seek to live in daily conscious partnership with God. It's not fearful, but rather full of faith. We might feel unworthy on certain days, guilty, condemned before God and others. But the spirit of adoption tells us that we're totally accepted before him, that we are loved, that we are forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice. He has become a reality in our lives. And lastly, one of our temptations might be to have um, has lots of faith in themselves, right? I got to be able to fix it. It's the DIYer syndrome, I call it. And maybe you have a little bit of faith. Maybe you're on the other side, right? You don't have faith and you have lots of fears. The spirit of adoption tells us that we can trust God's sovereign plan over our lives daily, knowing that his plan is loving, his plan is wise, his plan is best, and we believe that God is a good father. Amen. Church, here's the reality. We don't have to live in the spirit of slavery of sin, right? Through the spirit, we've been empowered to live out that spirit of adoption. That means we don't have to fear. We don't have to live in guilt. We don't have to feel unworthy, but instead we can hold on to the assurance that we have a God who is a good father. 
that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that if he cares for the, for the birds in the sky and the, the, fe- the, the flowers on the field, that he will care for us as well. How much more will he care for us? That even if we feel lonely because of broken relationships maybe with our family or our friends, that he's given us a new family in Christ. That even if our mother or father leave us, we have a God who cares for us and is caring for us right now. Church, this is what it means to live the Christian life in the spirit. This is what God has promised to us. And even better, he tells us to cry, Abba, Father. See, the word Abba isn't just a cool word that comes before the word Father. (laughs) The word Abba actually was used in in an affectionate, personal, and intimate way in which a toddler would use to call their father. And you might wonder, why does Paul use this language here of a toddler? It's the Bible. Why would he put that in there? But here's the truth, church. We've all been given a desire in our life for someone to care for us. And the reality is that desire for someone to care for us can only be fulfilled in Jesus. And what's interesting, this this phrase, Abba, Father, we also see when Jesus is on his way and is in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's leading up to his death to die on the cross, right? And Jesus, who's been in perfect union with the Father and the Spirit for eternity past, cries, Abba, Father. And he hears nothing. There's dead silence. What would have been a beautiful communion is now silence. See, church, Jesus was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was condemned so that we could be saved. It was our sin that placed him in that place. He was separated from God so that we could be reconciled with Jesus forever. And he received death so that we could receive life. That's the good news. That should empower us to cry, Abba, Father, right? That should make us humble to know that when he cried, Abba, Father, there was silence so that when we cry, Abba, Father, I'm at the end of the road. I know I have a father who cares for me. That assurance should change the view, our view of life and everything around us. That means I can walk my Christian life not being afraid of the circumstances around me because I know I have a God who is watching, a God who is tender, a God who's promised to be with me through all of my circumstances and who's going to direct my life according to his good and perfect plan. Church, here's the reality. It gets better than that. In verse 16, he says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Church, this means that if we are fighting the war against sin, then we can be confident we're children of God. 
And we can walk in that confidence. And one of the most beautiful promises that we receive as believers is actually found in verse 17. That not only do we have a Father who watches over us and cares, but we have a Father who is preparing a future for us in heaven that's awaiting us. That whatever you may be going through in this life will come to an end. All our suffering, all our pain, all our turmoil of living in a body that's broken and seeing the brokenness around it, it's all going to come to an end. Because He's preparing our inheritance that is ours to keep. And we don't have to worry about this inheritance not being enough, right? In the mindset of scarcity, thinking, man, there's not going to be enough for all of us. This is an abundant life. An abundant inheritance in Jesus. We know that we don't have to worry about the things of this life because we know this isn't the only life we're going to live. That actually the life to come is going to be much sweeter. That anything that sin could offer us or anything this world could offer us is actually doesn't even compare, right? to what Jesus has promised for those who have trusted in Him. See, through Jesus, we not only get new life, we not only get a helper, but we get a future in heaven that we will enjoy with Him forever. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why we call ourselves citizens, because we're citizens of heaven. So church, I want to encourage us to lean into that abundant, full life that Jesus offers. That you would trust that if you have trusted in Jesus and placed your faith in Him, that He has empowered you to live the Christian life with confidence and that He will come again and we will live with Him forever. Church, because we've been given the Spirit, we can walk in a manner that's worthy of Him. We can fight the war against sin And live as children of God who have a beautiful inheritance awaiting them in heaven. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in guilt. We don't have to live in shame. We can live confident that we have a God who cares for us. That we have a God who sees us, accepts us, and loves us. And has prepared a home for us in heaven. Church, the Spirit empowers us to walk in a manner worthy of Him. And therefore, we can go fight. We can go fight against the flesh. We can go fight against sin. And we can trust and await His beautiful inheritance. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.